How good it is to have you in God's house this evening. You can go ahead and be seated. It's going to take me a little bit to intro. If you weren't with us the last time I spoke, which was a couple of weeks ago, I began a short series. I don't know how short it'll be, but it was entitled Al Tira or Be Not Afraid. Sometimes when I bring messages, I'm not quite sure why God gives it to me other than he knows who needs it. And sometimes I know that he will leave the ninety nine just to minister to the one. And sometimes that's the kind of word he brings because he knows that there's someone that desperately needs to hear the words that he has. So if this is not for you, praise God that it's for someone that's in need. Amen. But I believe we can all learn from this because I know I have. I know it's ministered to me as I've prepared. So that's what we're going to look at again. We're going to look at part two of this series entitled Be Not Afraid, because how many of you know that this world and the devil will do everything that he can to cause you to live in some kind of fear? Whether it's fear over your marriage or fear of sickness or fear for your children or fear for your business or fear for your ministry or fear for your finances. It's it's the kind of weapon and tool that the devil will bring against every single one of us. But God in the midst of it all says, I'll tira or be not afraid. As we learned a couple weeks ago, al is the most frequent and common command given by God to his people in Scripture. Be not afraid or fear not or don't be afraid is spoken as a command to his people over 75 times in Scripture. And there's good reason for this command, like I shared in part one. It's because fear has a way of paralyzing God's people. Amen. Fear is able to debilitate us and to keep us from our promise. And it's exactly why God says, fear not. How many of you know God has a promise for you? He has a promised place for you. He has a promised land for you. He has promises that he wants you to enjoy while you're here on this earth. But he ultimately has a promise of a home in heaven and the devil will do everything that he can to keep us living in fear. So we don't inherit that promise and don't claim that promise and don't possess that promise. Amen. But how many of you here tonight and say, God, I want my promise. Then we need to learn to not live in fear or let fear get in the way. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll get into the word. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your spirit. I thank you that you are in this house, Father God. I thank you that you've given us a reason to have joy and happiness. I thank you that you've put a song in our heart, Father God, and a clap in our hand and a little dance in our feet. I thank you that you've given us a reason to rejoice because you've brought us out of darkness into your glorious light because we once were lost, but now we're found. We were blind and now we see. And I thank you, Father, for the freedom that you've brought to us, God. As always, I ask that your anointing would be upon me and be upon your people. I pray, God, that you would anoint my mind, that you would anoint every word that comes forth this evening and let it find a place within the soil of our soul. I pray, God, that we would be willing to obey the command that you give to us, Father God, to al-tirah, to be not afraid. 
I know the devil will bring all sorts of things against us. There might be some individuals, and even if it's one that's being overtaken by fear this week or whatever it might be going on in their life. And I pray that you would build us up in the most high faith. That we could move forward, Father God, in the kingdom and gain the promise that you have for us. We give you the praise and the glory and all of God's people said, Amen. Like I said, this word, Al-Tirah, or be not afraid, is the most common command given by God. He speaks about fear, and you hear words about fear and not being afraid numerous more times in Scripture. But I'm referring to this command that God gives to His people to be not afraid. Every time God spoke to a leader in Scripture concerning the possession of a promise, he first commanded them to al-tirah, or to not be afraid. Because like I said, fear is an obstacle to our faith. Fear will always stand in, in between us and the victory that God has for us. Fear will always position itself or try to position itself between us and the promised land that God has for us. Us and the victory that God has for us. Because the last thing the devil wants you and I to experience in life is victory. The last thing the devil wants us to inherit in this life and in the life to come is the promises that God has for us. Amen. He wants us to suffer the same fate that he suffers. But we have been given this command to fear not because God has a promise for us and it's going to take some faith and it's going to take some effort in order for us to gain that promise in our life. But we need to understand that fear will always stand between us and victory like Goliath stood between the Israelites and their victory. Just like the, the wall of Jericho stood between the Israelites and the centralmost portion of the promised land, so will fear and the devil stand between us and our promise. If you know anything about the wall of Jericho and you looked and, and mapped out the promised land, the wall of Jericho stood right between them and the richest part of God's promise to them. It was the central part of the promised land. And the enemy that, that lived and ruled and reigned within, that, within those walls could have caused the army of God to be of great fear, Joshua to be of great fear, but he didn't. He did not allow fear to keep him from his promise. And he marched, you know, how many times around that wall? You see, the reality is when you are filled with fear, you won't march. When you're filled with fear, you won't shout like they were called to shout. You won't be able to possess the promise. So every time that God spoke and, and moved or wanted to move his people towards a promise, the first command he gave was to be not afraid. And he wants to speak that to us tonight because it's what we need in order to inherit our promise. The truth is fear stands in the way of our spiritual progress and our spiritual growth. Fear keeps us from moving forward and from gaining ground in the natural as well as in the spiritual or supernatural. Little example in the natural Fear can keep a young man from asking out the girl of his dreams. Some of you have been there. I remember as I was writing this, I remember the first time I wanted to ask out a girl. I probably picked up the phone five times and hung it back up because I was afraid of what she might say. 
But I had to get past my fear in order to make that phone call and get the date. And the same thing goes with all of us in certain areas of our life. Fear has the power to keep the student from going to college. Fear can keep us from the interview. It can keep us from asking for the raise or seeking for a promotion. Fear can keep us from opening our own business or taking on a new role where I might be or even changing careers. Fear keeps us from moving forward and it actually causes us to retreat. Every time you read about the the army of God or the people of God in Scripture, when fear overtook their life, they actually retreated. It's what fear does. It's what the devil uses fear for. He wants to back you up. He wants you to go in the other direction. You see, what you and I need to be moving towards every single day is what? It's the kingdom of God. What you and I need to be moving towards every single day are the promises that God has for us. But what the devil will do is he'll position himself like he positioned Goliath or he'll position himself like he did with the Red Sea. Whatever it is, but the, the devil and fear will position itself in front of you and your promise. And it will actually drive you back unless you rise up in faith and overcome the enemy. Amen. Remember, for 40 days and nights, the army of Israel, read the word of God, for 40 days and nights, the army of Israel, the Bible says, arrayed themselves for battle in the valley of Elah. They arrayed themselves. If you know what that means, it means they put on their splendid garments. They arrayed themselves. They, they put on their shiny armor. They, they, they wrapped their feet in the, 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 the shields that they needed. They, they picked up their weaponry. They picked up the shield and they picked up their swords and they put on their helmet. They did everything they could in, in regards to arraying themselves. And they lined themselves up in an effort to intimidate the enemy. They did everything they could. The Bible says they arrayed themselves for battle. Boy, they looked good, but they didn't go forward. They never went forward because they were filled with fear. They arrayed themselves. They looked apart. They tried to position themselves properly. But the enemy wasn't afraid because they failed to move forward. And that's what fear does. For 40 days and nights, that's all they did. They arrayed themselves. And as soon as Goliath came out and roared, they retreated. And that's what the devil wants you to do because he knows that you have a victory on the other side of Goliath, church. And he causes you to tremble in fear. Here's what I thought when, when, when I read this. Is that the church is often just like this. We array ourselves really good. We come into the house of God and we play the part and we put on the armor and we shiny up our suit and we carry the big Bible and we sing the fancy songs and we position ourselves in the house of God and we listen to the sermon and we sing the songs and we dance around and we try to intimidate the enemy. But the the enemy still has control over us because we don't have the faith to step out and go. You see, the church is no good until it's willing to stop arraying itself and start stepping out and doing what God has called us to do. The church can look real good and the church can array itself week after week. And you and I can do the same thing. But I want us to remember that God said, go up and possess the land. 
God said, go therefore into all. Don't just array yourself in the house of God. Go do what I've called you to do. But the reality is, far too often, we don't go do what he's called us to do. Why? Because we're afraid. We're afraid of what might happen. We're afraid of what others might say. We're afraid we might fail. Or the devil brings something so intimidating into our life, like a Goliath, that it causes us to retreat and live in fear. And we never fulfill the purpose of God in our lives. We never gain ground. We never possess the promise. And we never take the land. For 40 days and nights, the army of Israel arrayed themselves for battle and they put on what they needed, but they never marched forward to fight. But David did, church. One little ruddy boy, he marched forward in faith because he wasn't afraid, because he he obeyed the command of God to Al-Tirah, to be not afraid. He wasn't afraid of the, the Goliath. He wasn't afraid of the obstacle. And he stepped out in faith, not in the armor, the fancy, splendid armor of Saul. He stepped out in the armor of God. He stepped out in the armor of faith and he moved forward. And when he moved forward, he won the victory and he won the kingdom as well. The kingdom, listen, the kingdom was teetering and the kingdom would have toppled in all of Israel and the army of God would have been overcome and overtaken if David would not have risen up in faith and obeyed the command of God to alter and be not afraid. Listen, if you don't want to lose your kingdom, you better learn how to be not afraid. If you don't want to lose your household and your kids and your marriage and your business, you better learn how to alter and be not afraid of Whatever the devil brings your way, because you will lose the kingdom. But when you rise up in faith, please get this. You will gain a kingdom that was never yours. David won a kingdom and he gained a kingdom that was somebody else's because he rose up in faith and would not let fear overrule him and overtake him. It was the birth of his kingdom. When he was willing to go out in faith and not fear and defeat Goliath, it was the beginning of his rule and reign in the eyes of God. And we need to understand, listen, if you want to inherit a kingdom, if you want to inherit a promise, you have to learn to obey this command to be not afraid. King Saul, please grasp this. King Saul, who was the closest in stature to Goliath, over seven feet tall himself, trembled in fear. The king trembled in fear. And the Bible says he became a mere man because of fear. No longer operating like a king. Oh, God, I hope you get one. No longer operating like a king. Please understand how we should operate. We should operate as kings and priests in this world. But sometimes because of fear, we become like mere men and women. And you have this ruddy little shepherd boy taking care of sheep, smelling like sheep, looking like a sheep. No big fancy armor, no big fancy hat, no colorful armor, no shield, no sword, nothing that man put together. But you know what he was arrayed in? He was arrayed in faith. He was arrayed in the Holy Ghost. He was arrayed in power. He was arrayed in the anointing of God. And he won the kingdom. 
He saved the kingdom. I hope you're getting this, church. I know it's teachy, but so many of us want some good things from God. We want the kingdom of God to come into our life. We want the blessings of God to come into our life, but we're afraid to step out and get it. Oh, but that giant's so big. That wall is so massive. That sea is so deep. That hurt is so hard. That sickness is cancer. Those words that were spoken against me were so wounding. We allow all of these things to keep us from moving forward and gaining the promise that God has for us. If you want the kingdom of God to come into your life, if you've been praying for his kingdom to come or or this promise that he has in store for you, please understand we cannot live in fear. The reality is every victory requires us to move forward, church. And it's exactly why God so often said, fear not, because like we learned a couple weeks ago, fear is not from God. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love, of power and of a sound mind, church. And what we have to understand is that that's the spirit that God wants us to walk in. He wants us to walk in the spirit of power. He wants us to walk in the spirit of faith, church, not fear, because faith is power. Faith is power. Fear is not. Fear is not from God. Fear is a weakness. Fear is not a strength. Faith is power, and God asks us to walk not in the spirit of fear, but in the spirit of faith. The Bible tells me that if I have faith as the the size of the grain of a mustard seed, I have the power to move mountains. The Bible tells me that if I have faith, the spirit of faith within me, that I have the power to uproot obstacles in my life and tell them to move. That's not me speaking. That's God speaking. I have the power to move obstacles and mountains and uproot strongholds in my life. I'm I'm able to confront those things that have come against me and tried to root themselves in my life. But if I have the spirit of faith instead of fear, I can say to that mountain and I can say to that mulberry tree and I can say to that Goliath and I can say to that Red Sea and I can say to the enemy, be thou moved. And the Bible says it shall move. Fear can't do that. Fear can't move anything except you backwards. Fear will never move you forward. It will always move you backwards. Fear will not advance the kingdom of God. It will advance the kingdom of darkness. And this is what I'm just trying to get us to understand, the depth of how fear can affect us. Well, some of us might be sitting here tonight. Well, I'm not afraid of anything. I'm really, I'm not afraid of anything. But if you examine your life, fear is keeping you from the promise. There is an element of fear that will try to operate in every single one of our lives. And this is what the word of God has for us today. If we have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, it gives us power, church. And what we have to understand is that the devil will always bring mountains and he will always bring giants and he will always bring obstacles into our lives in order to instill fear and panic and dread in order, church, to keep us from moving forward. You see, the Bible says that upon this rock, Jesus said to, to Peter, I'll call you rock, and he was talking about faith. 
He said, upon this rock, the rock of faith, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When you study that, it means the church that is always moving forward. Faith moves forward. It doesn't move backwards. It moves forward. And the last thing the devil wants to see happen in your life is for you to move forward. So he will always bring something. He'll always bring bad news. He'll always bring a giant. He'll always uh, bring an obstacle. He'll always build a mountain. He'll always build a, a wall in order to keep you from where you need to go. And when those things come into your life, you have a decision to make. Will I operate in the spirit of fear? Will I operate in the spirit of faith? If I operate in the spirit of fear, guess who will be overtaken? But if I operate in the spirit of faith, I can say to that mountain, to that obstacle, whatever it is, be thou moved. How many of you need something moved in your life? Then all we have to do is learn to al-tirah, to be not afraid when it confronts us and confront it instead. God has given you authority over every unclean spirit, every unclean thing, every dark thing. And we need to learn how to exercise that spirit and that strength and that anointing in our lives. It's why time and time and time again in Scripture, God orders his people to be not afraid. So one of the first questions we have to ask is how many want to possess the promise? How many want to take the land? Then we cannot allow fear to stand in the way, church, like Goliath did or like the wall did. In Deuteronomy 1.8, God said, turn and set your journey and go. Go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country and in the lowland and in the Negev and by the sea coast and, and the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have placed the land before you, therefore go in and possess it. Before I go any farther, how many of you know that if God puts it there, it's yours? If God puts it in front of you, it's yours. You know, there's far too many of us live our entire Christian life. Well, is that really for me? Is the Holy Spirit for me? Is healing for me? Is that ministry for me? Is that promise for Absolutely. If God put it there, it's for you. Why do I know that? Because the Bible says that God's not a man that he should lie. If he, pro if he promises, if he speaks, he acts. If he promises, he fulfills. If God puts it in front of you, it's yours. The only reality is you have to go get it. See, he said, see, the land that I have placed before you, it's yours. Go up and possess it. And here's the problem with so many of us in the house of God. God, when are you going to bring me my promise? When are you going to bring me my healing? When are you going to bring me my peace? When are you going to bring me my joy? When are you going to bring the thing that I need that you know I need it? When are you going to bring it? Well, there it is. I put it before you. Why aren't you getting it? Why aren't you stepping out? Why aren't you believing? Why aren't you claiming? Why aren't you taking what I have set before you? See, he said, see, please understand. He took them to a place where they could literally see the promise. There it is. Go up and possess it. And, and what we have to learn to do, church, is we have to learn to step out. We can't just wait for God to bring it to us. He's already, the Bible says, he's, he's already given to us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. Everything. His promises have already been spoken. 
His promises, it says, are yes and amen to those who believe. If you don't believe, the promise isn't yours. If you don't believe, the the job isn't yours. If you don't believe, the healing's not yours. If you don't believe, the restoration of your marriage, it's not yours. If you don't believe that your son's going to get saved, he's not going to get saved. If you don't believe that you can overcome an addiction or an infirmity or, or some other thing that is going on in your life, it's not yours. The Bible says that the promises of God are yes and amen to those who believe. And when we live in fear instead of faith, it's hard to receive the promise, church. We will always struggle with belief. We will always stand right there at the edge of the promise and wonder if that's for us. Wonder if that's really ours for the taking. Wondering if it really is everything that God said it is. Wondering if it's all that in a bag of chips. Wondering if it really is a land that's flowing with milk and honey. Remember when God led the children right there to the edge of the promise in Kadesh Barnea? What did they do? What they should have done was immediately gone in and taken it. Because God had already spoken to them about it. But what did they do? They stood there and literally questioned God. Well, I wonder if it really is everything that God said it is. I wonder if it really is all of that. I really wonder if there is a land flowing with milk and honey. Maybe we should send out some spies to see if God is telling the truth. That's what they were saying. To say if his promise is real. Listen, if God said it, it's real. If God said it, it's true. But so often we're like those individuals. Well, let's go see if it really is true. And that was the beginning of their demise. Because they should have marched right in because God had already spoken to them about it. He had already outlined the, the, the depth and the, the breadth and the width and the height of this promise. He, he set the boundaries all the way from the mountain city to the great river Euphrates. There it is. It's all yours. All you got to do is go up and possess it. But they didn't. They send out spies. And then what happened? Ten of the twelve come back. And what they say? We can't take that land. It's filled with giants. It's filled with the descendants of Anak. And we look like grasshoppers in their sight. What was it that I told you a couple weeks ago, that when we live in fear, it affects the way we speak. Listen to what came out here. Here is what God said. This is all yours. See, it's all yours. It's all yours. Go up and possess it. It's all yours. But then they get in there and they, fear begins to confess. Oh, we're like grasshoppers. Fear begins to confess. Oh, I'll never get that. I can't get that job. I'll never get that promotion. I don't think God's really going to heal me. I don't think he can do that. We begin to question the promise of God because of this thing called fear, church. And what God is trying to get us to do is to live by faith and not by fear. Amen. How many of you want what God has put in front of you? See, I have placed this land before you, therefore go in and possess it. But they didn't go, church, because as we all should know, something got in the way and it was fear. 
Fear kept them from the promise that God placed right in front of their faith and in, in front of their face. And so often that's us. He puts it right there. And we just don't have enough faith or we have too much fear to go in and possess it, church. Fear kept them from the land that was flowing with milk and honey. Please understand, it wasn't the enemy that got in their way. It wasn't the giants that kept them from moving forward. It wasn't the obstacles that kept them from their promised land. It was fear. The entire camp was overcome with a spirit of fear, and it kept them all from obtaining their promise for 40 years. Lived in the wilderness. All I'm saying is I'm trying to get you to understand the damage that fear can do if we allow it to rule and reign in our life. Fear caused them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years like they like 40 days and 40 nights. Fear kept them still on a hillside by the Valley of Elah here at Kadesh Barnea. Fear kept them wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, church. That's what fear will do to us as well. It will keep us in bondage. It will keep us in the wilderness. It will keep us from His blessings. It will keep us from His healing. It will keep us from His anointing. It will keep us from ministry. It will keep us from a land that is flowing with milk and honey. And it's exactly why time and time again, God issues the command to His people, be not afraid. In part one, we we learned the first reason that we should fear not is because He's with us. Amen? You remember that two weeks ago? We should not fear because He is Emmanuel, God with us. Now, recap it real quick. In Isaiah 43, God speaks to Jacob and He says, Fear not. Al-Taraz, the word He uses there. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you walk through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you won't be burned. And through the flame, it shall not consume you. So fear not, for I am with you. And if there's anything that should keep us from being afraid... There's anything that should keep us from being filled with fear. It's the fact that God is with us, church. It's the fact that God Almighty is right beside us. It's the fact, the truth, the promise that He will never leave us or forsake us, no matter how dark the day gets, no matter how hot the fire gets or the furnace gets. We shall not or should not be afraid. We should fear not, for He is with us. Just like he was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Just like he was with Daniel in the lion's den. Just like he was with Paul and Silas, church, when they were in the deep, dark dungeon. So he will be with us, so we should fear not. In Isaiah 41.10, we find more reasons. It's a short verse, but we actually find five reasons why we should fear not. He's speaking again. To Jacob, and he says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. 
Do not be afraid. I will strengthen you. I will help you and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. In one passage, we find five reasons why we should not fear. And it's things that we should remember and be mindful of every single day when we step out into this world, when we go to the workplace, when we're faced with with an obstacle, when a, a Goliath stands before us, when we encounter a wall of Jericho, when we find ourselves pressed in at the Red Sea, when when we get their bad report from the doctor, when, when, when fear tries to set in and come against us, what we need to realize, church, is that He is with us. We have to realize that He is our God. We have to realize that He's the one that gives us strength, that He's the one that helps us. We have to understand that Almighty God is the one that holds our hand. Those five truths should keep us from fear every single day. But the sad reality is far too often we forget that truth. We forget that he's with us. We forget that he's holding our hand. We forget that he's the one that is our strength. We forget those things, church. We forget that he is an ever-present help in a time of trouble. So what do we do? We panic and we're afraid. We retreat. We give in. We don't go forward. I'm just trying to give you some passages and understanding of why we should not be afraid, church. I don't know what obstacles you might be facing this evening. I don't know what giants you might be facing, what fears might be trying to overtake you. But I do know who holds your hand, church. I do know who said, I am with you. I do know that he's the one that will help us. He's the one that promises to uphold us. He's the one that promises that we will not be cast headlong because he's holding us with his strong right hand. He's with us, church. And if God is with you, then who shall stand against you? If God is with you, David said, then of whom shall you be afraid? Listen, it should be one of the greatest comforts to understand that God is with us, church. In the midst of whatever it is that we're going through, we can understand, God, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I know you're holding my hand. I know that I'm going through a tough time in my life, but I know that you will keep me upright. You'll uphold me, God. I know I'm weak. I know I'm weary. I know this battle is, is wearing me down, but, but I have faith and I believe that you are the one that will give me strength. I'm weak. The Bible says where we're weak, he is strong. Amen. And all of those reasons should cause us to fear not. In Isaiah, I'm going to give you a couple things before I close. In Isaiah 43, God makes it clear to Jacob who's talking to him about not fearing. I touched on it a couple weeks ago, but didn't get to embellish on it. Speaks to Jacob, makes it clear who's talking to him about fearing not, church. And he says this, but now this is what the Lord says Reminding Jacob that God, Jehovah, is the one speaking to him. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, it is he that says, fear not, it's not your mom, it's not your dad, it's not your grandpa, it's not your pastor, it's not your priest, it's not your counselor that's telling you to fear not. It's the one who created you. It's the one who fashioned and formed you in complete darkness. It's the one who knit you together while you were in your mother's womb. It's the one who ordered your days before you took a single breath. That's who is saying to you, fear not, for I am with you. And when we can understand who it is that's with us, church, when we can understand that it's the one that knit me together while I was in complete darkness, 
When we understand that it's the one that fashioned me and formed me, when we understand it's the one that took a pile of dust and breathed life into it, when we understand that He is the one that, that, that ordered my days before I took a single breath, when we understand who it is that's with us, when we understand that it's the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last and the beginning and the end and everything in between, church, when we understand who's with us in our sickness and with us in our trial and with us in our sadness and with us in our loss and with us at our Red Sea and with us in the fiery furnace, church, when we understand that He is Jehovah Jireh, like I taught, and Jehovah Nissi and Jehovah Shalom and Jehovah Tzidkenu, that He is El Roy or El Shaddai, or Jehovah Mekadesh. One day I'll teach all the names of God. But when we understand that He is the one that is with us, it enables us to altirah and be not afraid. Amen. Do you come to the music if you're prepared to come to the music? Because I've got to find a place to wind this down. I'm only on page two. So I know we got more of a series. So in, in, in Isaiah 43, here's what I close with. In Isaiah 43, God makes it clear to Jacob who's talking to him. And I just told you who's talking to him. I just explained who it was that was telling him to be not afraid. And if that's not enough to keep us built up in the most high faith, if that's not enough to keep us from being not to keep, uh, help us be not afraid, he then reminds us. In Isaiah 41, God makes it clear who he's talking to as well. In Isaiah 43, he makes it clear who's doing the talking. And I know I'm going backwards, but in Isaiah 43, he makes it clear who's doing the talking. In Isaiah 41, he makes it clear who he's talking to. And he says, but you, Israel, used to be Jacob, used to be the deceiver, used to be saying a changed man. But you, Israel, my servant, and then he does mention Jacob, too. He says, but you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendant of Abraham, my friend. I took you from the ends of the earth, from the farthest corners. I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. So do not be afraid, for I am with you. And my point is simply this. Like I said, when we understand who he is, but also understand who we are, fear can't rule in your life. When we understand that he is Jehovah Jireh, my provider, Jehovah Rapha, my healer, El Shaddai, uh, the all-sufficient God. When, when I understand who he is, but also understand who I am in Christ and in God, fear can't rule and reign in my life. Listen, when the Israelites came to the Red Sea and found themselves pressed in and filled with fear, it's because they forgot something. They forgot who he was and they forgot who they were. 
They forgot that he was the one that delivered them out of the hand of Pharaoh. They forgot that he was the one that brought them out of bondage. They forgot that he was the one that took them out of 400 years of slavery and was heading them towards a promise. They forgot who he was and they forgot that they were his chosen people, his royal priesthood and his holy nation and his precious prized possession. They forgot who he was and who they were. So they were filled with fear and it caused them to want to go back into bondage. Read it. It's what fear does. It causes you to want to go back where you came from. It causes you to want to go back to bondage. Fear causes you to have an appetite for leeks and onions instead of milk and honey. That's what fear does. It stirs up the wrong appetite in your life, church. And it causes you to want to go back into bondage, but it also causes you to forget about the promise or give up on the promise. God made them a promise of milk and honey, and fear caused them to be willing to give up on it. It's what fear does. God has spoken some promises into your life, and the devil has come, and he's brought all sorts of stuff against you to cause you to be fearful, because he knows if you'll live in fear, you'll give up on that promise. If he keeps you in that place of fear long enough, he knows you'll throw in the towel and you'll give up on God. You'll give up on the promise. You'll give up on the ministry. You'll give up on the marriage. You'll give up on the children, because you're so frustrated and filled with fear instead of faith. And the understanding of who he is and who I am. You know who you are? You're the head and not the tail. You're the above and not the beneath. You're a child of the Most High God. You're a royal priesthood, a chosen people, a holy nation. You are his prized possession, the Bible says. You know what that means? That means that you are the most valuable thing he created. You and I, prized possession, precious, he uses the word precious. You know what the word precious means? It means of highest value. It means to be appraised as being worthy. That's what precious means. So what you are, I hope you're grasping that. You're precious to him. You're of high cost to him and high value to him and high worth to him. He's appraised you as being worthy of his love and worthy of his blessing and worthy of his goodness. Yakar is the the Hebrew word for precious, and that's exactly what it means. It means somewhere in our life, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, he has appraised you to be worthy of his blessing and worthy of his presence and worthy of his anointing and worthy of his promises to be fulfilled in your life. You're worthy of everything the kingdom of God has for you and every promise that he made to you. You're worthy not because you yourself are worthy, because all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. But you and I are worthy. We've been appraised to be worthy of everything God has because of the work of Jesus Christ. How could he use the word precious in the Old Testament? How could he use this word and talk about being appraised to be worthy of his love when we were under the law in the Old Testament? It's because Jesus was slain from the foundation of the earth. From the beginning of time, Jesus would be our Redeemer. I don't want to get too theological and lose you there. But I'm just trying to give you the point that you are precious, church. You're precious. 
in the eyes of God. And if you and I could understand how precious we really are and believe it and have faith in it, uh, fear would not have control in our life, church. It wouldn't have room to roam in our life. We're precious. And the Bible also tells us, as I close, that His thoughts are precious toward us as well. Psalm 139.17 David said His thoughts towards us are precious. His thoughts are precious towards us. Again, He uses that same word, yakar, in the Hebrew. They're valuable thoughts and Honored thoughts, and those thoughts have been appraised to be worthy as well. These are the thoughts that God has towards us, church, and because of it, we should not be afraid. Because His thoughts are to bless us and not harm us. His thoughts are to give us hope and a future. His thoughts are to help us. His thoughts are to strengthen us. His thoughts are to uphold us because He sees what we're going through. He sees the difficulties. His thoughts are good thoughts towards us, church. That's why we sing about Him being a good God all the time. Because all the time. David even went on and said, I can't even number the thoughts that He has towards me, the precious thoughts that He has for me. If I was to count the sands, they wouldn't even equal the the thoughts that He has towards me. And every thought that he has is a precious thought. It's a thought about redemption. It's a thought about peace. It's a thought about joy. It's a thought about blessing. Constantly, the thoughts that God has towards us are precious. And if we could just understand that, if we could just understand who he is and who we are and how precious we are to God, Guess what will not have rule in our life? Fear. This is exactly why God encourages us in the Scripture time and time again to altira or be not afraid because I am with you. Be not afraid because we are His and He is ours. He said, be not afraid for I'm your God. I'm not just Abraham's God. I'm not just Isaac's God. I'm your God. Your God. Your God. Your God. Your God. Your God. I'm your God. You see, we all have to come to a place where we understand that He's my God. And we really understand that, church. You put that all together with everything else that I've talked about, then we can truly be not afraid. Amen? How many of you want to possess a promise? How many of you want to move forward? then we have to overcome fear. Amen. If you want your promise, stand to your feet, because here's how we're going to close. The Bible tells me in Romans 8:32, kind of paraphrasing it a little bit here. If he cared enough to give us his only begotten son, who is filled with mercy and filled with grace, it says, how much more will he give us everything we have need of? You see, sometimes or most of the times fear will come in because There's a need that we're recognizing. There's something that we need. And we're afraid God won't do it for us. Afraid God won't provide it for us. Afraid, like I said, maybe it's the marriage. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's something in your body healing. You're afraid God won't bring it. But please understand, the Bible says that if he cared enough to give us his only begotten son, the highest example of love that He could lavish upon us, His only begotten Son. 
His son who came in his image, his son who came in his likeness. But at the same time, his son who laid himself down. If he was to give us his only begotten son, how much more would he give us everything we have need of? If you're here tonight, you need healing. If you're here tonight, you need marital restoration. If you're here tonight, you need a miracle in your finances. If you're here tonight, you need something in your mind. The Lord is saying, fear not, because I'm with you. Fear not, because if I gave you my son, how much more will I give you everything you have need of? How many of you here tonight say, I need something, God? I, I don't care what it is, but I need something, God. Tonight, he wants to give it to you. Amen. How many of you believe he's going to give it to you? Here's what I'm going to say. Here's the promise. Here's the promise. Here it is. Right here. It's right in front of you. Promise of a healed marriage. Promise of breaking of an addiction. Promise of a son coming home. Promise of healing in your body. God said, here it is. See, here it is. Go up and possess it. 